This is the Indie Drills Podcast, and I'm your host, Chad Wilson. I'm also the owner of All Eyes DB Camp and author of 101 DB Tips. In this podcast, we're going to be talking about any and everything having to do with defensive back play. From technique to current events, we'll cover it all just like the guys in the back half blanket the wide receivers. I have over 20 years playing and coaching and training in this game, and I'm ready to use all of that experience to bring you the best experience in the Indie Drills podcast. So let's go. Listeners, if you haven't had a chance to do it yet, pick up your copy of the 101 DB Tips ebook. It's the ultimate reference guide for defensive back play. If you're a player, a coach, or a trainer of defensive backs, then this is something you absolutely have to have in your library. I discuss everything in this book from playing man-to-man coverage, to zone coverage, to how to train, to how to improve your footwork, your eye discipline, and body control. Literally everything pertaining to defensive back is covered in this book. Over 20 years of playing, coaching, and training defensive backs has gone into the making of this ebook, and I'm proud to say that it has helped players and coaches from the little leagues all the way to the college level. Make a point to check this book out now. If you're serious about being the best at what you do, make that purchase. You can find the book by going to 101dbtips.com. That's 101dbtips.com. Welcome to the Indie Drills Podcast. I'm your host, Chad Wilson. It's a DB podcast, y'all. I don't know of any other ones out there. If any of y'all do happen to know of another specifically DB podcast, feel free to hit me up at cwilson at alleyesdbcamp.com and let me know the name. I would love to listen. Otherwise, guys, you know the drill. If this is your first time here or if you have not had a chance to do so yet, go ahead and hit the subscribe button on whatever you're using to stream this podcast. That way you don't miss out on another great episode coming your way. You want to get that thing hot off of the presses, all right? So go ahead and hit the subscribe button. Would really appreciate that. And again, use that email address if you guys have any feedback. I also do try to post a poll each and every week uh, when it comes to the podcast. So if you're on Spotify uh, for podcasters, Go ahead and find that poll and drop an answer on it. Would love to get some feedback uh, and a little back and forth going between uh, me, the podcaster, and you, the audience. Would appreciate that. Also, if you guys are on Twitter and you want some more information on playing defensive back or maybe even a little back and forth, talk about technique and things of that nature, follow me on Twitter at dbtips101. That's at dbtips101. Would appreciate that. Follow and uh, we've got some, we'll talk some good stuff. I post some really good stuff on there. All right, this is going to be a short podcast today. This time of year, I tend to travel quite a bit, so don't have a bunch of time, but I did want to connect with you guys after not having a podcast last week. Appreciate, um, you know, sorry about that. Things got a little busy for me, but I am here now. We've got a few things to talk about. Today, we're talking about being on your details. We'll get into exactly what that means for you as a defensive back. Studying route combinations, that's a very big key for you as a defensive back if you're trying to be a playmaker and a guy that can anticipate some things. But the main topic is smothering the passing attack when it comes to communication. That's something that a lot of teams, players uh, struggle with. So if you are a player that has a, you know problems communicating, we'll talk about that um, as our main topic today. And as well, coaches, if you're out there coaching a unit and you're having a hard time getting those guys to talk to each other, I know how it is, and corners tend to be mutes. They're so dialed in, you know, they get lined up really close to their opposition and the the receiver in front of them, and, you know, the receivers get all of their focus, especially when they're playing press, and it's hard to get those guys to talk. So, you know, you might find the information that I talk about here today very useful, and you'd want to impress that information upon the guys that you are coaching in your secondaries, all right? Uh, so far as the details... As a defensive back, I tell people this. Yes, all right, we're going to cut quarterbacks out of this thing because anytime I try to mention anything with quarterbacks or comparing quarterbacks, people, you know, especially if they're on the offensive side of the ball, don't want to hear it. I've tried to tell guys that it's harder to play cornerback than it is to play quarterback. And, you know, a debate wages and rages on on that. You know, I think they're equally as difficult mentally, but just from a physical standpoint, I think playing corner is physically more difficult than playing quarterback 
you know, people will cite just the kind of hits that a quarterback has to take. I get it. But as cornerbacks, you got to go up there and tackle guys. And then, you know, if you're in the NFL level, you've got big 300-pound linemen coming around the edge, and you can no longer go low on those guys. you got to take on this big hulking 300-pounder coming around the corner who probably benches three times your body weight. And uh, it's a difficult deal. It, you can get beat up out there playing corner, both mentally and physically. But um, in, in terms of the details, I'm cutting quarterbacks out of this. Next to offensive linemen and specifically left tackles, there's no more detail-oriented position than defensive back. And the reason I say that is there are a lot of unnatural moves at defensive back. You know, you don't spend any amount of time in your day going backwards. That's just how we live out on the field. Um, you know, so and there's an art to backpedaling. Um, and then playing press man on a wide receiver, you miss one little tiny detail in that and the guy's gone. And, uh, you know, the worst part of playing defensive back is that when you make a mistake, everyone sees it. Defensive lineman might hit the wrong gap. That's a 15, 20-yard gain. Uh, linebacker might miss a tackle or he might hit the wrong gap, 15, 20-yard gain. You know, every now and then it's 60, 80 yards. But, you know, if a safety's not in the post when that post ball's thrown, big play. You know, 70, 80-yard touchdown. You miss a tackle on the edge as a corner, 40, 50-yard gain. Um, you miss a jam at the line of scrimmage, 50, 60-yard touchdown. So you've got to be very detail-oriented, not just because the mistakes are magnified because of where you're located on the field, but because the position actually demands that. What you're trying to do is very difficult. Oftentimes when I'm training guys, I try and draw the correlation between playing press man and hitting a baseball. Now, when you hear that, initially you're thinking, man, what is he talking about? It's a totally different sport. I don't see it there. But a lot of, as someone who's played baseball and coached it and, and then tried to teach young men how to hit a baseball, there are a lot of similarities. In essence, if you're breaking it down to its very basics, in baseball, as a batter, you're trying to hit an object that's coming in at you know, a great rate of speed, you know, depending on what level you're playing in, could be coming in at 70, 80, 90, 100 miles an hour. And you're trying to make contact with that object, the ball, with a bat. And there are a lot of similarities in what it takes to hit a baseball and make contact with a wide receiver at the line of scrimmage. Your eyes definitely have to be right. You need to be looking at the right things. You need to be focused on that object. You've got to be focused on that baseball. You've got to be focused on the hips of that wide receiver. She's coming off of the line of scrimmage. And then how you place your hands, even with a bat in it, is similar to how you need to place your hands when you are jamming a wide receiver. So there are a ton of details there. Um, there are a ton of details in how you need to swing that bat and get it into the strike zone to hit that ball. And there are a ton of details involved in how you are going to shoot your hands and strike that wide receiver, where you need to strike them, where your eyes need to be when your hands are you know, striking the wide receiver, how your feet need to move, because that's the added element to this whole thing that you don't necessarily have when you're playing baseball. So that, in, in essence, can make things a little more difficult because you know, there's a wide range of distance that a receiver uh, may travel that a defensive back needs to make contact with, not necessarily so uh, in the game of baseball. There's a small area in which that ball um, is going to arrive in. Granted, it's moving at 100 miles an hour, and that's not you know what you're going to be facing against a wide receiver. Nonetheless, if you don't have eye discipline, if you can't focus with your eyes, and then if you don't strike and do the right thing with your hands, you're not going to net a positive result. You won't hit the baseball or at least won't hit the baseball the way that you want or need to hit the baseball. Then you won't strike that receiver or strike that receiver the way that you need to so that at the end of the day, you can have a positive result. You can reroute the wide receiver. You can put yourself in good position to be in his hip or up against his body. Uh, when the ball is arriving, all of these things need to be in sync and need to be done properly for you to have a positive result. So defensive back is a very detail-oriented position. And I just talked about one element of it, which is playing press man coverage. Uh, you know, I haven't even talked about safeties. Or how about a safety that has to come down and cover in the slot? 
in which case you may be off at five or six yards where you might be playing catch or scooch technique, or you are 10 or 12 yards off where you now need to pedal, you have to be on your details. Your pedal has to be on point. You have to have your weight specifically distributed um, the way that it needs to be. Your weight needs to be over your toes. On top of that, your eyes need to be placed in the proper position um, so that you don't get lost during the route. You need to, you know, you need to stay square. There's a lot of details that are involved in your success as a defensive back. So if you're not a detail-oriented person, you're going to struggle playing this position. And if you're not that, it's time for you to develop yourself into that or you're just not going to reach your full potential. So when you guys are out at practice, well, it starts really in the film room. When you're in that film room, you've got to be on the details in terms of, A, evaluating yourself when you're looking at yourself on film. You know, do pay strong attention to where your eyes are, first of all. Make sure, evaluating yourself, that your eyes are in the proper place, that you're doing the proper things with your feet. And then lastly, in situations where you need to use your hands, you are placing them properly. You cannot be sloppy on any of those things. And it's like being on an assembly line or, you know, even making a hamburger. Um, we've all gone to a restaurant and ordered food, fast food restaurant. Um, there's a certain order of things there. So you can't be sloppy about it. You've got to do things the right way or the customer's order is not going to come out right. You know, uh, you don't let's say you forget to put cheese on a cheeseburger or you forget to put the lettuce and the tomato in there. And that's that's what they wanted on there. They asked for ketchup and you didn't put the ketchup. You know what I mean? Or you didn't fully cook the meat. That's a whole nother situation. So there's details that you have to be on and you can't just be sloppy on one of those details, but right on the others. You know, your eyes could be right, but if your feet are wrong. Um, it won't really matter or your eyes and your feet could be right and then you place your hands wrong and now you've got a situation. So I'm here to tell all of my defensive back friends that are listening to this podcast that you have to get yourself into a situation where you are on the details. When your coach is giving you instruction, uh, when you're being, when you're getting instruction from a trainer or defensive coordinators going over something about a coverage you have to really look at it like, I, I'm going to imitate this. I'm going to mimic this. You know, some players in your locker room are really good at imitating the coaches. How do you think that happens? Just innately, they're studying the details of your coach's communication style, uh, the way that he talks and some of the hand mannerisms so that they can be funny when they bring it back to you. This is exactly what needs to be going on when your position coach, your DB coach, or your defensive coordinator is giving you instruction about a particular technique or a coverage. You have to hone in on exactly what it is he's saying, what he's telling you to do, where he wants you to be. You want to be on top of those details because when it comes time now to move full speed in a game, you want to execute what it is he's telling you exactly the way that he said it. And I, as I discussed in the early going here, missing on one of those details can be catastrophic for you as a defensive back. And it's another reason why I drew the comparison to the left tackle. When the left tackle is sloppy or he misses a detail or he's not on point, what normally happens? The quarterback gets hit. And that's a part of the game that everyone pays attention to. So, you know, when a quarterback gets driven into the ground or, you know, he gets sacked on an important third down, everyone knows why. And it usually has to do with that left tackle um, not going through all of the details and having them be on point. He maybe didn't kick slide right or he opened too soon or he had improper hand placement. Well, it's the same thing for us in the secondary. It's, you know, when you're back there at safety where your eyes looking at the proper things, uh, where, you, where you're studying the quarterback the way that you needed to, if your read was, you know, the wide receivers, a number two receiver or a number three receiver, depending on whatever coverage that you were in, were your eyes in the proper place or were they somewhere in the backfield looking around? These are all the little details of the position that you have to be on point. And maybe perhaps this has been told to you before, but I am here to drive that point home that it is super important. It's not something that you need to casually think about. This is the essence of your position. 
and a very big key to your success is being on the details. Same as it applies to tackling. You know, if you're being shown a technique on how to tackle head up, head across, you know, near leg, near shoulder, you know all of the things that you've been told about tackling and you just go up there and do it any old kind of way, well, you'll miss tackles or even worse, you'll miss tackles and you'll get hurt. You'll end up with your head in the wrong spot or your shoulder improper in the, you know, in the, not in the proper position and now you get your shoulder thrown out of place or you get hit in the head and you're in, you know, you have a concussion and now you're out for three weeks. The bottom line of what I'm talking about here is that you have to be in tune to the exact things. And part of that is going to start with you taking notes. Write things down and don't just write them down. Write them down and then review them later and review them again and then again and again and over and over and over. We know everything takes reps, right? It takes repetition. It took use many, many times of tying your shoes to just become an expert at it and not have to think about it anymore. It took many, many times of you getting on your bike and riding it before you were able to ride your bike without assistance from a mom, a dad, an uncle, or whoever helped you. Um, same thing for swimming and any skill that you have to learn. And playing defensive back is a skill. It's a skill to play press man. It's a skill to play off man. There's a skill to play safety and move from you know, the middle of the field to the outside third or outside half of the field. All of this is skill development and the you know, only way that's gonna happen is through repetition. This all starts with what you're doing in terms of the weight room or you know, when there's, not the weight room, but the meeting room. So when you take notes, when coverages are being explained, take notes. When you're watching yourself on film, take notes. When you're watching your opponent the week of the game, take notes and review them over and over again. Now, this is something you probably heard in terms of you know, your classwork, and maybe you've ignored it. Hopefully you haven't. But when it comes to this game, which is something that's ultra important to you, you definitely have to take that into accordance. You've got to take notes, review them. That helps you be a detailed person. And that's really the way you become a playmaker. It's the way you're going to reach your full potential as a defensive back. So it's details, details, details. All right. On to my next topic here, and that is route combinations. Perhaps you're a young player and you haven't given this much thought. I've known this uh, in coaching and just, you know, starting off in this game as a young player. But uh, very much I observe this as a coach. When, when a guy's first put out there on the field, which is where, you know, some of you may find yourselves. You're new to the position. You're new to high school football or, you know, you're just starting off in college football. You're just kind of out there. You don't really have much in terms of, you know, instincts. You're just playing and you're reacting to what's happening in front of you. And there's, you know, there's very little anticipation. And if you really want to be a playmaker out there, a good part of your game is going to involve anticipation. You have to, you can't be out there reacting to just everything that's happening in front of you. There has to be a certain amount of anticipation and expectation that if, if A is happening, then B is going to happen right after. If this player is doing X, then this other player is going to do Y. If the quarterback takes one step away from center after he receives the, the snap, he's throwing the ball soon, or he's trying to throw the ball soon. He's not trying to throw a 15-yard in route if he takes one step away from the center. All right, so A is happening, B is the likely result, all right? So, you know, in basically when a wide receiver is lined up, there's a route tree, all right? We all know there's a route tree. And, you know, the typical route tree has nine routes on it. As you go further along in the game, that extends beyond that. But we're just sticking to the basics. If you are going to line up as a defensive back and have it to where all nine of those routes are available in your mind, once the ball is snapped, it's going to be a very difficult existence for you. It's going to be hard for you to make plays. You're just going to be reactive. Now, if you can look at a player and see from his alignment, there are going to be certain routes here on that tree that he's not going to be able to run. So now I can concern myself with fewer routes possibly being run. I'm not going to say they're impossible. It's just it's highly unlikely that certain routes are going to be run. 
Now, when you can turn that around with after the ball is snapped and I am reading another player, could be a quarterback, could be another wide receiver. Based on what that other key is doing, what the quarterback is doing or what that other receiver is doing, now I'm eliminating even more routes off of the tree as to what the player I'm going to ultimately be covering can actually run. So let's just give you an example. There's nine, as I said, routes on the route tree and a wide receiver comes out and he lines up extremely wide. He's damn near by the sidelines and I'm just using this as an example. Well, right away we know I've got some routes I can eliminate off of this tree. Can't run a quick out, so that route's off the tree. That's normally it's a three somewhere in that um, route tree. Not probably going to run a corner out. I mean, he could come in and then go back out, but not likely. So seven is out. Um, you know, a comeback can be kind of difficult. Five. So I've already eliminated like three routes off of the tree. Okay, so now the route tree that had nine now has six. And my key now is um, the number two wide receiver. The number two wide receiver is going to determine what I do against um, the number of one wide receiver that I'm in front of, and that's the guy that's lined up near the sidelines. So as that number two receiver that I'm reading comes off the ball, he's going to be running some kind of a route. And let's say based on his path, now I can you know eliminate two or three other routes. Now we're down to four or five routes that the wide receiver can actually run. And sometimes what that other receiver is doing can eliminate a whole bunch of routes. We're down to two or three routes. Wouldn't it be nicer in the middle of a play if I can only concern myself in my mind with two or three routes as opposed to nine? When you start getting yourself into that position, now you are becoming a ball player. Now you're a guy who can anticipate. Now you're a guy who finds himself around the ball more often. Now you get to be known as what is called a ball hawk. So that's where studying route combinations come into play. If you happen to be in a defense where your coach has you reading other wide receivers, now there, you know, there's kind of two schools of thought when it comes to playing defense in the secondary. One is where a defensive back coach or a defensive coordinator has his players back there reading the quarterback. They want to get their clues from the quarterback. And then there's another school of thought where the coach will have the defenders reading one wide receiver to determine and figure out what another wide receiver is going to end up doing. Either one of those methods work so long as everyone is on the same page and they're on top of the details involved in running that kind of system. What I'm concerning myself with today when I'm talking about route combinations is the, is the latter type of defense that I was talking about. One in which you are reading one receiver to determine what the other receiver is going to be doing. And if that's the system that you're in, you can do yourself a ton of good by understanding and studying route combinations. So your coach tells you that in cover three, you're going to be reading number two. Great. You know that. You've been practicing that. But to this point, you haven't really studied what it is offenses do and how one route, how the route of number two oftentimes leads to what number one is going to be doing. You're just out there doing it because the coach tell you read number two and that means then you're going to now be in this area in the flat or in the third or whatever. Or you're going to, it's just going to turn into man for you. To this point, that's the player that you've been. And the whole purpose of what I'm talking about here is to get you out of that mode. Um, yes, you know you're going to be reading the number two receiver to find out what one is doing, or you're reading the number, you're reading two to three or three to two, and that means you're going to be in this spot or that spot. I want you to really dig into offenses and what route combinations they run. So I'm going to talk about three specific route combinations today. One of the most basic route combinations is called slant flat. And so if we're a cornerback now and we're just trying to imagine it, first of all, we are going to get our clues off of the splits from the wide receivers when they come and line up. So this is before the ball is even snapped. We have some kind of an understanding as to what could possibly be coming our way. All right. Number one wide receiver has a pretty wide split. He's outside of those numbers or he's getting pretty close to the sideline. So in my mind, this could potentially be 
a slant, could be a dig or a curl or something of that nature, something breaking inside because he's gotten pretty wide, all right? And I am now going to be reading that number two wide receiver as this certain coverage dictates that I need to do. If you're studying route combinations, you know a common route combination is the number two wide receiver running into the flat, a flat route, and that is combined with a slant by the outside receiver, the number one wide receiver. Why do they do that? It's because that flat route is going to take that inside defender a lot of times. That's what they're hoping, that that inside defender goes and chases that route into the flat. Maybe that's his responsibility or maybe it's not, but he takes off, chases that route into the flat. When he leaves, that opens up a passing window in the area which he vacated. And now how we can attack that as an offense is have that number one receiver run up the field, okay, after about a three, four yards, perhaps, he's going to plant, break, and go inside to now go into that area that has been voided by the inside defender leaving. Oftentimes, um, the cornerback is slow to react to that because he's not on the details. He's not in an anticipation. Um, he doesn't have much anticipation because he's you know either new, doesn't really study, whatever the case may be. And that receiver can plan his foot, break, get inside of the corner, show his numbers to the quarterback, and get hit right in the chest with a completion. And then after that, hopefully you're, as a cornerback, you get him down to the ground. Sometimes if that guy's pretty quick, he's a Tyreek Hill type or Jalen Waddle. those guys catch slants and take off a 60, 50, 70, 80 yards after that. That's really what the offense is hoping for. Here's how you help yourself if you are a guy that studies route combinations. If you study route combinations and you're reading number two, that flat route is going to happen sooner than the slant route is. So you see the splits when they line up. You get in your mind, this is a potential slant flat. This team likes that. I saw that on film this week. They're lining up in the areas um, with the splits that dictate that this might be coming. And now I'm going to read number two. Number two takes one step, two steps, and now he's to the flat. That number one receiver is still stemming up the field. But because I've studied route combinations, I can kind of start positioning myself, not overly so, but kind of start positioning my body and my mind to get ready to break on the slant. So once I see number two going out, I look at number one as I start to move myself inside a little bit. And when he plants and drives to go inside, I can plant and beat him to the spot and either get an interception or get my hand on that ball and knock that ball down. That's how you become a player. And that's an example, slant flat. Another common combination is called smash. And this is when the outside receiver runs a five-yard hitch route and the inside receiver runs a corner route behind him. That could be at varying you know, depth. It could be at 15, could be at 20 yards, depending on the level that you're playing at, uh, the kind of offense you're facing, the abilities and capabilities of the quarterback, whatever the case may be. There's a hitch route by one and then there is a corner route by two. Pretty common. They use it at all levels of football. Oftentimes, it occurs when you are playing a coverage known as cover two. And the reason they're doing that is they're trying to get the cornerback to stay down in the flat area and have that corner route get hit behind him before the safety could get over there. I've seen this work, unfortunately, in cover three. Corner's trying to make a play. He wants to jump a route. He jumps a smash route and then he jumps a hitch route in front of him and that corner route gets run behind him. And now that safety's coming from the middle of the field. He's never going to get there. And then there's a big play that happens behind it. All right. If you're a guy that has studied route combinations, you will have some anticipation, especially when you know you're in cover two and there's a good chance that your quarterback is back there looking at how the safeties are set up. Um, and you're not big, your team's not big on disguising their pre-snap looks. So you know I'm in cover two, quarterback knows we're in cover two, and again, receiver comes and lines up in a spot where I've seen him run a hitch route before. So I know I'm in cover two, number one wide receiver comes out there, he's in a spot where uh, he might run a hitch. In my mind, I might get smash here and I'm going to be in my area. So I can have some anticipation and I'm not just reacting because 
the offenses want you to just react. That's how they trick you on plays. That's how they high-low you. That's how they keep you in a flat when you should be back. That's how they make you leave, you know, the hook area so they can throw a pass. It's because you're reacting and you're not really in an, uh, a mindset of anticipation. When you've studied and you know that smash concept is something that's run against cover two, when that hitch comes, you know what to do. And if, you're, if your team runs cover two the kind of way that a lot of teams do where you get a hitch route in front of you as a corner and you yell something out, oftentimes it's China, and you fall back to that corner route that's coming, you can get yourself a good amount of interceptions on that. You yell out your China, 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 you get the linebacker to come out to the hitch, and you fall back to that corner ball and the quarterback thinks he could fit it in there or doesn't even really see or anticipate you going back to that corner ball and he throws the ball right to you and you get a nice clean interception. All right, same thing for you as a safety. You see those guys line up, you see a two by two set and you know you're in cover two. And a lot of times the common way this offense you're facing likes to attack cover two is with, a, it's, it's with that smash concept. You can now prep yourself to be ready to come off of the hash when that corner, when that wide receiver, the number two wide receiver breaks to the corner and you can get over there sooner. Now you're the guy that can make the interception. This is all, of course, within the framework of what it is you're supposed to do as a, as a safety in your particular coverage. I'm not asking you to abandon your responsibilities. I'm saying within the framework of what your responsibilities are in your defense, you can have some anticipation and now you get to the area of the field sooner than you would if you're just out there reacting. And this requires guys studying the other side of the ball and understanding route combinations. So we talked about slant flat. We talked about smash concept. Last one I'll talk about is switch. And switch is something that is commonly used to beat cover four uh, quarters coverage, which a lot of teams are running right now. And that involves a number one wide receiver running up the field, breaking to the post, and then typically underneath that, the number two wide receiver will break out to the corner and that causes some conflict between the safety that's uh, inside and the corner that's outside. What the offense is hoping for is that we get two wide we get two defenders jumping one route and, and then the other route is wide open. So either that safety stays inside and picks up the post and the corner goes with the post leaving the corner route wide open, or the safety goes and jumps the corner route, the corner stays outside picking up the corner route, and then the post route is wide open. That's called a switch route or switch release. That's the combination that I'm talking about. So um, again, if you've been studying and you understand route combinations, you can position yourself to anticipate what is coming your way. Oftentimes when teams are going to do this, the inside receiver and the outside receiver tend to get a little closer together. That is just their setup to kind of induce the defenders to be a little closer to the wide receivers and it attracts them to stay with uh, the wide receiver that they're covering, that they're locked onto with their eyes. And that's how you end up with two guys on one and then another receiver wide open. If you have been studying uh, route combinations, you're going to understand that I'm in quarters coverage and now I see these receivers come out to line up. They're a little close to each other and okay, I understand that switch could be coming and now I communicate with my safety or my safety communicates with me as a corner. We get really good communication there and that's something I'm going to talk about here in the next segment. We make our little signal, our call, whatever it is. Hey, we say, we say switch uh, or we say lock on, whichever one it is. Um, the lock-on call would mean you stay with your guy no matter where he goes. So if your guy goes to the post, you're going to stay with him. If my guy goes to the corner, I'm going to stay with him, and we're going to have a guy on a guy. Other times, if you, know, you guys have a signal that says switch or something of that nature, you are backing off, anticipating that the outside guy is going to come inside and that the inside guy is going to come outside, and you handle it that way. I'm here to tell you that switch release versus quarters or cover four works at every level. I've seen it work at every level. NFL on down. Guys wide open off of a switch release versus quarters coverage uh, or any other coverage that has similar um, responsibilities. 
Understanding route combinations allows you to anticipate that that might be coming. You can make the appropriate communication beforehand, and now you are uh, we don't have a situation where a guy's running wide open. So those are just three basic route combinations that I've discussed with you. You guys should really spend some time studying them. If you are a member of the All Eyes DB Camp members area, I have posted several route combinations in there. And I don't just post them. I post them telling you this is what the actual route combination is. This is what they're attempting to do. This is how you can spot it. And then this is how you can defend it. All right, so I kind of break it down on, on those four main characteristics right there. You can get that in the All Eyes DB Camp members area. Go to alleyesdbcamp.com forward slash sign dash up. Become a member today. That's just one of a whole bunch of things that I do in the All Eyes DB Camp members area. But falling short of that, go find that information. Go f- learn as much as you can about route combinations and how they're used to attack and trick you in the secondary so we don't give up those big plays. All right, and then the final thing I want to talk about today has to do with both of the first two things that I talked about. So everything fits together in this particular episode, but I want to talk about today that um, how we use communication to smother passing attacks. All we're seeing now lately, and it's one of the big reasons why I started this podcast, is how offenses are just they're putting up record numbers left and right. Of course, the rules have helped them there. And, you know, I know I know I make a big deal a lot of times about pass interference, but I'm not silly enough to um, not realize why the rules in football are the way they are, why they've made some of the adjustments in the rules that they've made. It's just that they want it to be an exciting game that holds people's attention. We are in an era where there is a short attention span uh, people just can't focus that long unless something's exciting. Um, things are very much different than they were before. People would read whole books and novels. Now it's 240 characters on Twitter. Um, there are 100 different videos on your feed when you're on Instagram and TikTok. Um, and people just need to be entertained. They're going to blow up a car or a building in the, big, in the first 30 seconds of that movie or people are going to be gone. They're going to be on to the next thing. They're going to turn that movie off and be on to the next one. So it just fits with the times. And so we, you know, if this game's going to grow and get a bigger and bigger audience, so we just got we got to have offensive football. That doesn't mean we're going to just let things happen. We are on this side of the ball. We're going to create excitement by getting turnovers and possibly scoring on our side of it. So because they want more offense doesn't mean we have to give them offense. So if we're going to smother some of these wide open passing attacks that we're seeing left and right, we are going to do that. A big part of that is going to be communication. There's four of us back there. There's five, sometimes there's six, in some cases seven when you're facing a super wide open passing attack. And we have to move as a unit. We all have to think alike. We all have to communicate with each other. We have to see the same things when the offense lines up and then once that ball is snapped, we all have to be moving on the same wavelength and then that's how we end up making plays. If we have guys breaking down and leaving wide receivers wide open, um, not only are we going to not make plays, the offense is going to make plays and they're going to hit really, really big plays on us and that's something that we're looking to avoid. Um, and as I said, in this current era of football at all levels, we've seen some really outstanding passing attacks. High school quarterbacks are breaking state passing records left and right. College football signal callers are setting new marks. I mean, look at what Shadur Sanders is doing each and every week. Um, Look at what Caleb Williams is doing. And just look, the entire Pac-12 right now is going nuts. And we've certainly seen things change at the professional level where throwing for 3,000, 4,000 yards is the norm. Throwing for 40 touchdowns is not anything that would drive anyone crazy now. There was a time where... You threw 40 touchdowns, um, you were putting yourself on a Hall of Fame path. It's almost like that's just expected. So with so much passing going on, defenses, look, we constantly have to be on the lookout for new ways to slow down all these aerial onslaughts that are going on. One of the new ways to limit the passing game may be looking back into the old, and that is communicating. One of the things that I've noticed, Bochin, uh, you know, when I was coaching and now that I'm training, and this is like over the last decade or so, is that more and more football players are focusing more individually 
and you know they're just more focused on the individual and this is a team sport one of the biggest groups getting hurt in this movement are the defenders and in particular the guys in the back the defensive backs defensive backs are spending more and more amounts of time working on drills and individual skills and not enough time learning how to play within their scheme if you're going to stop a passing attack i'm going to tell you that no amount of your individual skill is going to overcome your poor communication in the secondary. With that said, I'm going to talk to you about the five big, areas, uh, five big areas of communication that will help you defend a strong passing attack. The first thing is going to be communicating the formation. Now, that seems simple, but you would be surprised how many defenses don't do this. Teams use formations to beat the defense. It's important you to call out the formations when the offense lines up. The responsibility um, in this communications falls on the safeties in most defenses, in all defenses. You can't really rely on cornerbacks for that because they're out on the edges. The safeties have a central view of the offense. However, cornerbacks, you can get involved in this too. You should communicate how many eligible wide receivers they have on your side of the formation. Help the safeties out. With the side view of the offense, cornerbacks are in the best position to view how many eligible guys are on their side. So this will help the defense set itself and get lined up. If you've studied right during the week, the simple formation communication can conclude everyone in on what is expected at the snap. Because again, offenses attack you with formation. So we need to know the formation first. Second thing you need to do is highlight, um, highlight the key player um, in the formation. Most strong offenses have a key player that they like to get the ball to. All right, so if you're watching the Dallas Cowboys, that's CeeDee Lamb. He gets a ton of targets. Just to give you an example, some teams have multiple ways and players that can hurt you. However, even in those situations, the times that they get the ball to those players are preset. Many times it's just dictated by the formation. So after communicating the formation, call out the location of the player or the guys you've determined was the key that week. Some offenses are crafting, moving players around or hiding them in the backfield or at the end of the line of scrimmage and things of that nature. Knowing where the player is will help in defending him, and that can't happen unless it's called out by either the middle linebacker or the safety. It should then be echoed by the rest of the players in the back. That's linebackers and defensive backs. Get that known. Third thing is loudly calling out and echoing coverages and checks. How many times have we been in the game and the checks aren't communicated. We get to the sideline after the team's scored a long touchdown and no one knows what happened. I didn't hear that. I didn't know we were in this. First of all, most defenses have little code words or hand signals for their coverages. Make sure that those code words and those hand signals are communicated every down. It's hard enough to cover talented wide receivers getting thrown to by gifted quarterbacks without having one guy playing man while the other guys are playing zone. Safety should make sure they get the attention of their cornerbacks because we're notorious as cornerbacks for being non-communicators. Make sure they see the signal. Make sure that they've heard the coverage. Double the emphasis on this if the formation changes or if there's motion that causes there to be a change in the coverage called. Loudly communicating the check. Corners uh, should signal their communication of hearing the check with some other kind of hand signal. So at least the hand signal serves as to tell one guy and make sure the other guy um, knows and heard it. You got to loudly communicate the checks. Emphasize it. Doing anything other than that, set yourself up for the potential for one guy to be playing something and everyone else to be playing something else. And that's where big plays happen. We have communication busts and breakdowns. So don't let that be you. Get into the habit of loudly communicating. I know some of these stadiums get loud at the high school level. They're loud in the college level. And we know where they are at the professional level. Fans are drunk and they're yelling and screaming. You better communicate uh, with some emphasis. The final, uh, well, not the final thing, but the fourth thing is communicating your scheme and technique. The place where this comes into play is against unusual formations. When the offense lines up in a bunch set, stacked formations or tight alignments, safeties, corners, and linebackers have to open their mouths and remind each other who has what. Most of the time, who cares if the offense knows? What's most important is that everyone on your side of the ball knows who they have and where they're supposed to be. It only takes one man, like I said, to be out of place for a big play to happen. 
So if you need to call out banjo, banjo, call it. Inside out, call it. These are just some of the things that you need to be yelling out um, in certain formations, and they need to be communicated pre-snap when the offense starts getting creative with their formations. Being silent in those situations is deadly. Then the final part of your communication is calling out routes, and this is the hardest part. A lot of guys, once that ball is snapped, they turn into mutes. They're so focused or they're so caught up in what's going on that they fail to communicate to other guys. And now you've turned your team defense into a whole bunch of individuals out there. And it's hard to be elite when you do that. Communication doesn't stop once the ball is snapped. The best defenses continue their exchange of information after the center releases the ball to the quarterback. You cover wide receivers in zone with your mouth. Since you aren't chasing guys all over the field, you need to communicate their location by yelling out the routes they're running. This alerts the defender in the zone the receiver is headed to that he has someone coming. The best way for me to have you visualize this is to think of going to play paintball. A lot of you guys do that. You go out with your teammates, you're playing paintball. If your group of 11 went up against another group of 11, I really don't think that you guys will sit there and not say a word during the game. You better be telling your guys when the enemy is or all of you guys are going to look. Um, if you're not telling them where that enemy is, someone's coming up behind them or they're getting outflanked, you guys are going to get worked really fast. You're going to have paint all over your body, your face. You guys are going to get eliminated quickly. Playing defense is a lot like playing paintball. You're going up against a unit that's trying to get, you know, take out your guys. They're trying to get in strategic positions to take guys out. And that means coming up behind you, getting out flanking you, getting a couple of guys in a certain area to double team somebody. And if you're not talking to one another in that paintball game, you'll be out of there. A simple thing like yelling out China, as I said earlier, when the offense runs a smash concept, can lead to an interception. You can take the wind out of a high-flying offense's sails when you do that. All right, so this is just... Some of the areas of communication that are necessary. These are the main areas. You focus. If you as a defense, as a defensive back unit, can do these things right here, there's no way you're not going to be, at, at the very least, good. Right? You're not going to be a bad defense. You're not going to be a bad secondary if you do these five things that I talked about right now. It's almost impossible for you to be bad. And that's with you having minimal physical skill level. I've seen defenses where there just weren't a ton of really good athletes back there. And I've seen defenses where they didn't really have any good athletes. And they've held down wide open passing attacks. I've seen that down here in South Florida, both as a coach as, and as a spectator. Went into a game expecting a full-on offensive onslaught because they just didn't have athletes in the secondary for this team that they were going up against. And you'll be surprised. Guys communicated. They played with discipline on defense. Guys were on their details. They understood route combinations. And lo and behold, they held that offense in check. So the three things we talked about in this podcast today, if you, if you just focused on these three things and did them, and we're into our seasons right now. So I can't get a whole bunch into your off-season training and building up your, you know, your strength and your speed and your agility. What's done is done. That part of this cake is already done. So these things that I talked about you today, these are the things that you can add on and improve on now in season to get yourself where you need to be. Because before you know it, you're in the middle or towards the end of your season and you're trying to make a playoff push or you're into your playoffs and now it's elimination time and you need to be on point or you're going to go home. And if you just focus on these things today, which is A, being on your details, two, studying route combinations of offenses so you can have some anticipation, and then being able to communicate as a unit, watch how much better you start playing, both individually and as a team. So stress these things on yourself. If you're a coach out there, stress these things on your unit right now as you're in season because these are where the biggest improvements are going to be made now that you're in the middle of your season. All right, that's it for me on this podcast and this episode of the Indie Drills podcast. I hope you guys have enjoyed it. 
Before you leave up out of here, do want to talk once again about the All Eyes DB Camp members area. Over 200 videos there talking about all types of things, coverage, coverage tips, coverage analysis, breaking down technique. There's drills in there. There's uh, all types of stuff on um, how to break down coverages, um, how coverages are run, explaining coverages, um, technique, a ton of stuff there. And then also want to really stress to you guys, 101 DB tips. The sales on this have been absolutely great um exceeded even my lofty expectations if you're a defensive back or you're a defensive back coach you have to have this in your library um it's 101 of the best dv tips you're ever going to get again it talks about everything that you need as a defensive back how to cover in a slot how to play corner how to play nickelback how to play safety how to train um, um how to watch film just you know um you know, things on technique and tips and all all the little tricks that you need in there just to break down the book for you and the categories. Uh, I talk about footwork in here, ball skills, tackling, playing zone, playing man, playing in a slot, playing safety, studying film, coaching, teaching, all of that good stuff is covered in this and it's 101 of the best DB tips you'll ever find around. So definitely something for you to own. Head on over to 101dbtips.com, 101dbtips.com. Grab yourself a copy today. All right, I'm done hawking my wares. Guys, I really hope you appreciate it and got something out of this podcast today. If you have any feedback or any questions, feel free to reach out to me via email, cwilson at alleyesdbcamp.com, cwilson at alleyesdbcamp.com. Don't forget to hit subscribe on your podcasting streamer right there so you don't miss out on the next one. And until next time, guys, All Eyes DB Camp. Consistency breeds results.